Okay, so we've been covering the Holy Spirit as water, as oil, as wind, and now we're going to have a look at the Holy Spirit as fire. And at the end of this, um, I'm going to just speak to you a little bit about this prophetic dream that I had on Friday night because I believe it speaks to where we are, many of us, in things that we allow to draw us away from God's presence. And uh, so we're going to go from Exodus all the way probably through to Hebrews, but it's going to be just touching on little aspects of the Holy Spirit as fire, and then I'm going to talk about what it means for us. And so uh, the first appearance of God expressed specifically as fire in the Bible uh, is Moses at the burning bush in Exodus 3 verses 1 to 4. And the principle of first mention in the Word of God tells us that the first time you see something mentioned in the Bible, it sets a standard for the things that are revealed later. And there are some very key things about Moses' encounter that speak to us. And so uh, Exodus 3 verse 1 to 4, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. Actually, before I get into this, Holy Spirit, I just want to thank you that you come and fill this Word with your fire. I thank you, Father God, that, Father God, that this is about your glory. And I would pray, Father God, that as I preach this message, your glory would be imparted in some measure to every listener this morning in Jesus' name. Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. When you see Horeb mentioned, it's also Mount Sinai, two different names for the same place. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, when you turn aside to the presence of God, he will speak with you. And uh, if you have a New King James Bible, you'll see that the word Lord is capitalized. We're talking about the creator of the universe here. We're talking about Almighty God. We're talking about the God of the angel armies. We're talking about the God who speaks and worlds are formed. And yet here he is talking out of what is probably a bramble bush in the middle of a wilderness out the backside of nowhere. And... Uh, The bush, of course, is burning with this supernatural fire, yet it is not consumed. And God speaks out of this supernatural fire. There is a supernatural fire that is a manifestation of the very presence of God himself. But this fire expressed here does not destroy what it possesses. And we need to hold that thought because it speaks to us today. And I want you to take into account for a moment who God chooses to manifest himself to. The creator of the universe, the God of the angel armies manifests himself to a washed-up, has-been murderer ex-prince who has been reduced to looking after a few sheep out the backside of nowhere. This is who God chooses to manifest his glory to by fire. And then he entrusts him with leading an entire nation into a covenant relationship with God, the only nation out of all nations that God chooses, and he chooses the least likely candidate. And a cap, to put a cap on top of that, they have a problem in that they are slaves. They are enslaved to the most powerful kingdom on the face of the earth, and there is no way they can get out from under the hand of the Pharaoh that leads that nation. 
And so God commissions him. You better look out when you come aside to seek the presence of the Lord because he might say something to you that is unexpected or is impossible. He loves doing that. Exodus 3.10, come now therefore, this is God speaking to Moses, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children out of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And I got to this verse in this encounter and I began to think about it and I was struck by something. Moses has been given an impossible assignment and he's saying to God, who am I that, should, that, that you should use me to do this? I have a death sentence over my head. If I go back there, they're going to kill me. And then he's, so he's asking for a sign. Show me a sign that I should step into this. Have you ever been there? You ever felt like God wanted you to do something and you're going, God, give me a sign. Give me a confirmation. I'm going to put a fleece out. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. So God says, sure, I'll give you a sign. When you do what I've asked you to do, the confirmation will be that you have done what I asked you to do. That's what he just said to him. Is that not right? This shall be a sign to you that I've sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. When you do what I've asked you to do, that's your sign. Is that right? It's, that's right. It's a step of faith. It reminds me of Abraham. Remember Abraham? God says to him, get out of the place that you're so used to, that you grew up in. And, and so Abraham's got like, okay, good. God's sending me somewhere. And I will... Send you to a place I will show you. Pack everything up, choose a direction out the front door, and you're going to end up where I have chosen for you to end up. We've got to understand this is a faith journey. When you do what I've asked you to do, the confirmation will be that you have done what I asked you to do. <laughs> You will achieve this, and that's going to be your confirmation. Thank you, SNL. And, of course, it's confirmed. Moses gets his confirmation because the next time the fire shows up, it's at the same place where he has the encounter with the burning bush, Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb. But this time the fire is manifested in incredible power, supernatural power, raw supernatural power that no man can withstand except by invitation. God invites us into his presence. This is a prophetic picture of God's invitation to us. And so Exodus 19, verse 17, Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet, when it says trumpet here, we're talking about the blast of the shofar. We need somebody in our worship team that knows how to play the shofar. <laughs> Hallelujah, if I'd known that, I would have got you to bring one, Ed, my brother. <laughs> when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder, and in fact, do you have a shofar? You do have one, okay, because I was going to give you Anne Marie's. <laughs> I'd probably have to ask her first, but I'm glad you've already got one because now I don't have to steal hers. <laughs> when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. He spoke with him. Moses again is that man in this encounter surrounded by smoke and flames and earthquakes, but we see here that God actually spoke with him. The Bible says as if with a friend. 
and appointed him not only to lead but to be the mediator of the covenant of the law between God and his chosen people. How would you like to be the mediator between holy God and sinful man? Moses again, when things go awry, and it didn't take long, he goes down the mountain and there's everybody carousing and carrying on. God determines that he's going to kill him. But scripture tells us that it was Moses' intercession that resulted in God relenting from his decision to destroy the people because of their disobedience. And it was also as a result of Moses' intercession that God promised he would go with them. Priests and kings, right? We're priests and kings. We have a place before the throne of the Lord. And fire again is key because it's God's presence as fire that guides them. See, the fire of God, the supernatural fire of God is all through Scripture. Exodus 13, 21, 22 And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the from before the people. That's Exodus 13, 21 to 22. But I want you to uh, get an extra revelation on this thing because this is not impersonal. This is not uh, something that's far off in the distance where God doesn't want to come near them. Listen to this. I never saw this in Scripture before until yesterday. Deuteronomy 1, 31 to 33. When Moses talks about that pillar of cloud by day, Uh, and the pillar of fire by night, he says this, In the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son in all the way that you went until you came to this place. They're on the border of the promised land and he says, The Lord carried you all this way as a man carries his son. David, just stand up for a minute, my brother, with that baby in your arms. Can you do that for me? Stand up with your baby in your arms and give him a big, big cuddle. Can you look at them over there and see this is how God carries you? Thank you, bro. Yet for all that, you did not believe the Lord your God who went in the way before you to search out a place for you to pitch your tents. Do you understand that God went before them and decided beforehand where they were going to stop, even in places of absolute wilderness where there was no water, where there was no food. God chose those places because he knew what he had to build in them to sustain them into everything that they were coming into as an inheritance to show you the way you should go in the fire by night and in the cloud by day. There is here an expression of God as a father, even as he leads his sons into their inheritance by fire and by cloud. Whether by day or by night, the promise of God's presence was that he would be with them. In the middle of hostile land, surrounded by enemies who wanted to kill them, they only had to look up and see his glory manifested before their very eyes day and night. No matter where they were, there it was, the fire by night, the cloud by day. His presence had a purpose and that purpose was that they would reach the destination, the destiny that he had always intended for them you will reach the destination and the destiny that God has appointed for you. It might not look like it right now. Doesn't matter. Because if necessary, quails will stop dropping on the, start dropping on the roof of your house. Manna will appear in the morning. Water will come gushing out of a rock to provide for you to get to where you need to go. 
And then there comes an extra kind of layer into this idea of the fire of God with them because then God says, you know what, now I'm going to give you responsibility for stewarding some of this fire. And so uh, Moses commissions Aaron and his sons to be priests and they commission the tabernacle, they build this tabernacle according to uh, God's exact instructions and they slather anointing oil over every aspect of that tabernacle and then the supernatural fire of God comes and he says, now you've got to look after it. And he says to them, Leviticus 6.13, a fire shall always be burning on the altar. It shall never go out and you're responsible for it. How did they go with that? Well, they learned pretty quickly that the holiness of God is not something to be trifled with. The fire of God is not something to be trifled with. In Leviticus 10, two of the sons of Aaron do this. Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it. They took their own fire, put incense on it and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them and they died before the Lord. You know, all morning this, this phrase has been running through uh, my heart that I first heard from the prophet Jeremiah Johnson in, in America. I don't know whether he got it from Leonard Ravenhill. It probably goes back a long way. But the saying is this, without holiness, the church has nothing to offer. Without holiness, the church has nothing to offer. Because how will we be seen as separate from those around us without his holiness manifested in our lives? At the moment, the world sees the church as hypocritical. But the glory is coming to the sons of God so that we can manifest holiness, righteousness, truth, Power, authority, anointing in the name of Jesus. For that, our lives must match our mouths. And so you can see this progression of the fire of God where he's teaching his people about his presence and how to steward it. And how to host it. And hundreds of years later, when the nation had wandered far from the purposes of God, just as Moses prophesied, he said, I know what's going to happen with you guys. You guys are going to step over the border into your promised land. You're going to get these vineyards and houses and flocks and cities that you didn't build, you didn't strive for, you didn't grow, you didn't do anything for. God's just going to give you all this prosperity and you're going to be seduced by it. And when you are seduced by the things around you, I am going to turn my back on you and you are going to reap what you sow. But God's heart was for his people to come to repentance. And so he raised up various prophets throughout the word. And at their moment of possibly greatest apostasy, when a king called Ahab took the throne and was under the thumb of Jezebel, the whole nation was about to replace the worship of God with the worship of Baal. And so God raised up this prophet Elijah and raised him to confront the apostasy that Israel had stepped into and the idol worship. For generations they had worshipped other gods alongside Jehovah, but now the agenda was the worship of Jehovah was to be entirely replaced by the 
by the worship of Baal, and all God's prophets were to be killed. They were being hunted. And so Elijah draws the prophets of Baal and Asherah into a confrontation on the top of Mount Carmel. You've all heard this story. The, the, the prophets of Baal are dancing around this altar that's been erected, and Elijah has made this challenge. The God who answers by fire, he is God. And so the prophets of Baal are dancing around this altar and they're cutting themselves with knives and they're going hell for leather trying to get the attention of the, of the God, the calf of the storm they called him, Baal, the one who answered with lightning and all those sorts of things, saying, come on, Baal, show your power, show your power, and nothing happened. And Elijah, the Bible actually, I, I love how the Bible doesn't mince words. Because Elijah, halfway through this thing where they're cutting themselves with knives and there's blood going everywhere, he starts teasing them and he starts saying, maybe you should shout a bit louder. Maybe he's a little bit deaf or something. I don't think he can hear. You know what? Maybe he's in the loo at the moment and that's why he can't hear you. That's literally what he says to them. And nothing happens. And so then, 1 Kings 18.36, And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, this is a prophetic declaration instigated by the Holy Spirit moving through his chosen prophet. The prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham. And before he says this, he says, I want you to make sure that you understand there's no trickery involved here. So they start dumping water on the altar. They start dumping water on the kindling and on the firewood and on the sacrifice and even dig a ditch around the whole thing and fill that with water until it is absolutely drenched. There's no way this thing is going to ignite. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. If you're going to prophesy, it better be the word of the Lord. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that these people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Have you ever seen fire lick up water? It happened here. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Don't trifle with the fire of the Lord. And fire always falls on sacrifice. Lest you think this is all going to be Old Testament, let's come to the most important manifestation of fire in all of history, the fire of the new covenant, Acts 2, 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is our inheritance. This is our inheritance, the fire of the Lord, the wind of the Holy Spirit, the oil that enables us to burn perpetually and the rivers of living water that issue forth out of our belly, the washing of the word of God 
as an aspect of it to the Holy Spirit that comes and cleanses us, refreshes us. The oil helps us to burn in season and out of season. And God supernaturally comes and lights you up as if you were an olive lamp or better still, a burning olive tree that you might become the burning bush way back in Exodus. Ever hear that expression, wow, man, that person is on fire for God. You ever use that expression? Yes. What does it mean? Ultimately, it points to the upper room. And the upper room points to the burning bush. God supernaturally came down and lit them up. <laughs> it's a <laughs> boom, all right. <laughs> Forget about what social media says about being lit. This is lit. <laughs> See, I can get cross-generational. Don't you laugh, I'll get you up here with your Cardi B testimony. <laughs> the upper room points to the burning bush that we might host his presence within us as he deserves to be hosted. A fire that is meant to burn perpetually within us so strongly that I can see the tongues of fire on your head. The supernatural manifesting in the natural. Here's where it gets real. I've noticed something in 25 years of walking with the Lord, and that is that it's comparatively easy to burn for a day, a week, a month, or even for a year or two. But trust me, you're going to go through seasons where the fire seems a long way away. It's not that it is. It's that you're not as aware of it as you were. Or it will burn with such a ferocity that you're like, I don't think I want to do this anymore. The fire of God is intended as a manifestation of his glory over you, covering you, in you, and through you. But this is a holy fire, and a holy fire has to do its work. Our lives and ministry are not meant to be a sprint. They are a marathon. You're going to have to be persistent. You're going to have to be faithful. And you're going to have to allow the fire to do its work. I remember when I was a kid in a science class at school where the science teacher brought out a strip of magnesium and put it on a clay dish and lit it. And that magnesium burnt with incredibly bright intensity for a few seconds and then it was gone. We're not supposed to be like that. And then I, as I've been studying the book, to, book of Acts, I realised that the people lit up in the upper room in that encounter with the fire of God burned for 30 years, not 30 days. Do you want to be that person that burns for 30 years and not 30 days? <laughs> if you're going to be that person, and I believe that, we're all here because we want to be those people, right? I can tell you it's going to cost you something. Every idol in your life, God will identify and ask you to lay down. Every single one of them. No flesh 
shall glory in my presence, says the Lord. And if you resist, he says to you, I want you to lay this down. Oh, yeah, but God, I really, I really like this. I want to keep this. I know better what to do with this than you do. If you resist, sometimes he'll strip it away from you anyway. Sometimes for good, sometimes for a season. I've known both of those. And in response, he will still demand of you that you worship him because he is God and you're not. Sometimes I think the church has got it around the other way. In those moments when you feel like nothing is as you were promised, you think Moses went through those moments? Joshua, Abraham, Gideon, name a Bible character that God used in a mighty way that did not have these seasons. When you feel like nothing is as if you as if you were pro- as though you were <laughs> when you feel like nothing is as you were promised, you're going to have to live in that place of the upper room, welcoming the wind and welcoming the fire. The wind's going to blow through your life. And the fire is going to consume everything that doesn't belong. It's those moments that will build the man or woman of God. And it's those moments that will sustain you when the consuming fire comes to burn away the dross. Sometimes we think our dross is actually riches. And God goes, no, 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 John. That's not gold. That's straw. Stubble. Needs to go. But lest you think that this message is not meant to be an encouragement to you, I want to encourage you with some aspects of all these Old Testament encounters that I've been talking about, some aspects of what they mean to you and how they will achieve in you what God intends. Because like Moses, you've been called out by God. That's why you're here this morning. You didn't choose him. He chose you. You've been called out by God no matter what your past or your present looks like. You're here now because God called you out and he makes no mistakes. He is speaking to you as long as you purpose like Moses did to come aside into his presence, he will continue to speak not just to you but with you. Every one of us should be coming more and more aware of the presence of power and voice of the Holy Spirit as he leads and guides us because that's his promise. Thirdly, he has commissioned you. Your commission is different to Moses. His was to lead a nation. Yours is to play a part in discipling nations. That's the call of the gospel upon us. His word over you is inviolate and immutable. He cannot and will not change his mind. He will carry you through everything as a loving father does his son. And sometimes he'll set you down and give you a big smack on the backside when you need it. True or not? A holy smacking. Anyone here ever had a holy smacking? Come on, let me see some hands in the house. <laughs> I've received many holy smackings. <laughs> Na- Naughty Johnny. That was my nickname as a kid. The whole family called me Naughty Johnny. They shouldn't have prophesied over me. They didn't know how far it would go. <laughs> Boy, 
Yeah, didn't I get a holy smacking? <laughs> His prayer, but we digress. His, oh, that provokes joy in me, man. <laughs> it doesn't matter how much I tell you, you don't know the half of it, let me tell you. <laughs> His presence will go with you. Whether by day or by night, he will be there. No matter way, where you lay your head, God will be there watching over you. But better still, his presence is not just over you, it's in you. You have, like those priests in the tabernacle, you have a part to play in maintaining the fire. We are kings and priests to our God. Part of the priestly anointing is to steward the fire. And this is a holy commission. Holiness. As you journey through fulfilling your commission, the fire of God will burn off every impurity you carry or hold. Especially the ones you try to hold on to. You shall be holy because he is holy and you are his representative. This is a promise, not a threat. You get legalistic with that type of scripture, you'll think it's God saying, you're going to be holy, you're going to be holy, you're going to be holy. No, he's saying, you shall, you shall be holy. I declare over you, you shall be holy. It's a promise, not a threat. Oh, this is like an 11-point sermon, man. Number eight. (laughs) Yeah, we're up to number eight. (laughs) Oh, well, let's see. I haven't got the Hebrews yet, so everyone bring a sandwich. I don't know. I'm I'm getting towards the end there. (laughs) That's it. You're getting fed on the wall. And which thing's going to get up? You're going to get the water of the Holy Spirit to quench your thirst, and then the fire's going to come. Hallelujah. <laughs> Number eight. Whatever you lay down as a sacrifice before God will invite his fire. Your life, which is we're living sacrifices, right? Your life will burn perpetually for him, and the more you lay down, the brighter and longer you will burn. As you do, your enemies will flee from what you carry. Do you know that those nations in Israel, you remember those spies that brought the, the, the bad report? Oh, you know, they were giants in our eyes and we were grasshoppers in theirs and so we are grasshoppers in our own sight. Do you realise that Scripture says that the nations were already intimidated Why? Because they heard the testimony and somewhere off in the distance at night they would see that pillar of fire coming toward them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Your enemies will flee from what you carry. (laughs) Your hosting of the fire, this presence, is part of a greater covenant than anything in the Old Testament. You are both a king and a priest. Hebrews 8.6 says Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant. And for those of us who have a bent towards legalism and the Old Testament, let me ask you this question. Who would you rather have as covenant mediator? Moses, who never stepped into the promised land, or Jesus, who sits right now at the right hand of the Father and right here, right now, he is interceding and praying over you from the third heaven where all authority reside. We are kings and priests to our God because of the precious blood of Jesus. Number 10, we're nearly done. You will prophesy and decree as Elijah did and it will come to pass as long as it is God's decree and not yours. The season of good ideas instead of God ideas is over. I don't want any good ideas. I want God ideas. I want the anointing of the Holy Spirit to be upon every single choice and decision that I make. 
As long as it's God's decree, it shall come to pass not just your idea of what God should decree. Because God's got a way of moving and being merciful in ways that we don't really fully appreciate. His ways are higher. And finally, don't be in a hurry. Particularly you young guys that have got ministry calls on your life, five-fold ministry calls on your life. If I could do one thing differently, if I could go back 25 years to the first five, ten years of my, of my walk with the Lord, I would stop everything and get to know him as deeply as I could. Don't be in a hurry. Your greatest strength lies in your willingness to wait on God. And when you wait on him, he will fulfill your inheritance. Elijah challenged and defeated the greatest demonic ruling power of his age on Mount Carmel, but it took years of preparation. You know, we're supposed to be like Jesus. Jesus took 30 years preparation for three and a half years of ministry. It's easy to be on fire for a year, two years, three years. Just ask Peter, <laughs> right? Three years, oh, Lord, I'll never turn my back on you. He turns chicken before a servant girl. But something changed at Pentecost. And the same man who ran from a servant girl stood up before the nation of Israel, declared Christ, and 3,000 devout Jews came to the Lord. I want to finish with uh, this prophetic dream that I had on Friday night. And it was kind of disturbing, but I realized that God wants to challenge us about where we are at the moment. I woke up at about 3 o'clock in the morning and this dream was turning over in my head. So I went out to uh, my little man cave where I sit with the Lord at night and uh, I got out my pen and my journal and I just started to write as as best I could what I had been seeing. And in the dream, I saw people who had literally been reduced to shadows by the things that had consumed them. And so you could barely make out who they were. But what you could see of them included the things that they were enthralled by. One of the ones I saw, um, and this is by no means all of it, was I saw a shadow form of somebody sitting, flicking through their phone. I see people in church doing that. I see people in worship doing that. That's one of the things that I saw. I saw many things. And it was as if you could see the things that they were interested in and the Lord was kind of ministering to me that the things that they were interested in were really not important at all. And it was as if all the people in the dream were just shadows of who God had called them to be. Instead of casting long shadows themselves, in sharp relief because of the strength of who they were and the light that they stood in, they had become reduced to mere shadows themselves. 
and you could barely make out their faces. It's light that casts shadows like a pillar of fire. It's light that gives definition to what we see. I saw some who had partially turned away from the light, so engrossed were they in the things that they thought were important but actually were just distractions. They had literally become a shadow of their former selves, a caricature of their true identity. The frightening part of this dream, and I'm including myself in this, because when God speaks to me to speak to you, he wants to deal with something in me. The frightening part of the dream was that this was entirely of our own making. Just because the devil tempts you doesn't mean you've got to say yes. Is that right? The frightening part was that this was entirely of our own make, making. It was not happening because there was no light available. It was because we were so engrossed by things that don't matter that we almost preferred the darkness and to be left alone with the things that were so engrossing us. I went back to bed and I woke up the next morning and Ephesians 5.14 jumped into my spirit. Therefore, he says, awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. And I knew that wasn't the fullness of that scripture, so I looked it up. Guess what it says, Ephesians 5, 8. I'll give you the passage. For you were once darkness. What's a shadow? Darkness. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. You know the best way to expose the unfruitful works of darkness in your life is to ask the Holy Spirit to show them to you so you can repent of them. You can confess it and repent. Because if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And it doesn't just stop there. He cleanses us from all, all. Let's give me an all. all. All unrighteousness. You are light in the Lord. It is time that we started walking as children of light. Because we used to be darkness. If I stood here and invited everybody to come out and tell us about your past darkness, we would be here for years. But you are no longer darkness. You are children of light. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. Have you ever done things in secret that you are ashamed of? You no longer have to walk in shame or guilt or condemnation because the beautiful blood of Jesus made it possible for us to partake of his life and put to death the unfruitful works of darkness. All things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. When you invite Jesus into your life, you are inviting the light of the world. And when the light of the world comes into your heart, he's there to expose a couple of things, not because he takes joy in exposing you, but because he takes joy in cleansing you, cleaning you up, making you up. A burning bush, perpetually burning with the fire of the Holy Spirit. An example to everybody around you of what a Christian is supposed to be. 
You're meant to be a little Jesus. <laughs> I'm meant to be a little Jesus. Therefore, he says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Can I have the worship team up? Because we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and fill us up until there's no room for anything but light. No room for anything but his presence. Based on the scripture in Ephesians 5.14, I declare what you declare, Lord. But it says, therefore he says, who's he? Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords. In my delegated authority as a king under the King of kings, I say today, I declare, decree, prophesy that Jesus says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. I declare awakening over our church and every person associated with the extended families of our church. I declare awakening over those watching from home. I declare over you that the fire of God is producing a light within you which exposes every ungodly work of darkness. Every shadow is fleeing at the name of Jesus this morning. I declare that our city, that the churches in our city shall no longer think of themselves as just churches but part of an ecclesia of God, a called out army who are ordained by God to lead a revival in this city. I declare over our city, awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead. You are dead in your sins and I say to you that you shall rise, that you will invite the blood of Jesus to cleanse, to purify, and that God's light will come upon our city of Liverpool. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. We declare light where there is darkness. We declare truth where there is falsehood. We declare the blood of Jesus over the sin of our city. We declare repentance. We declare confession of sin. We declare the exposing of everything of darkness, every manifestation of darkness in our city. We declare you shall be exposed because the light of the fire of God is coming upon our city.